The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Jesus called the crowd to him and said to them, Listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples approached and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if one blind person guides another, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain this parable to us. Then he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. A couple of years ago, Mary Lahage uh, came to our midweek study group to uh, present to us, to lead us through a few weeks studying about Islam. Mary is a very faithful Muslim, and I know that some of you may know her or have encountered her in this community. Uh, she was on a panel at Karem Shalom a few years ago. She's uh, the sort of person who is interested in other people's faith as well as being honest about her own. And it was especially interesting for us to be able to explore with her how a present-day Muslim woman expresses her faith within that tradition. But one of the things that really struck me by our time with her was her talking about the fact that for many Muslims, they live within a cultural context that defines Islam in a way that is not defined in the Quran. 
And she used as an example the fact that in some of the uh, countries where Islam is practiced, uh, they wear burqas. And it's believed that this garment that covers a woman from head to toe is uh, required by the Quran, something needed in order to be a faithful Muslim woman. Well, as she talked about that, I began to think about the cultural context in which we live and about the biases and prejudices that I have, some of them around religion, but some of them around other things entirely. Even among Episcopalians, you know, you can go from a church in Concord, Massachusetts, to a church out west, say, perhaps in Wyoming, and find a very different expression of what it is to be an Episcopalian. And when you think of the worldwide Anglican communion, uh, comparing uh, worship in the United States almost anywhere compared with worship in an African country, it's very different. And I must be honest that I'm not always comfortable with those differences. But I think that it's even tougher for some who become part of the Episcopal Church as uh, new members or people who are exploring our tradition because we are all formed out of a particular cultural context. So when we come to worship, we find that it's a little bit like listening to a concert where the violins are a little bit out of tune. It doesn't quite sound right. There are things that make sense and they sound familiar. There are other things that really seem strange. But it doesn't end just with uh, the way we worship or how we understand worship. It also has to do with our biases and our prejudices and the way that we understand class and race and the way that we understand people who are different from us, who are otherwise able from us. It, it covers so many aspects of our life, of our daily life. And part of that is because these, uh, this cultural formation makes it possible for us to have a kind of shorthand. We don't have to think about everything that we do every time we have an interaction with another human being or when we're in different circumstances. We just apply that cultural template. It's a lot easier for us to make our way through life that way. It makes it easy. And sometimes we're not very conscious of this status quo that we continue to perpetuate. Now, while I can't guarantee it will help you, it helps me to approach this very difficult gospel lesson from that perspective. It reminds me that Jesus was fully human. And we need to remember that Christians have not struggled with the divinity of Jesus. We have consistently struggled with the humanity of Jesus to believe that he really was a human being. And I think what we see in this particular gospel lesson is a very honest presentation of his humanity and his divinity. Now, you perhaps notice that uh, today Nick read that portion of the gospel. We often don't read if it's in brackets. But I asked uh, him to read it today because I think it sets up the story about Jesus with the woman who seeks his aid. The, the scribes and the Pharisees had come out from Jerusalem. They were becoming disturbed down in the capital about what this uh, wild-eyed rabbi up in Galilee was talking about and what he was doing. He wasn't living like a faithful Jew. He wasn't conforming to the practice. So they confronted him in Galilee. 
And they confronted him specifically about the fact that he and his disciples did not always go through the ritual washing before they ate. And what's so interesting about this encounter is that Jesus in this particular passage seems to draw a very clear line and and essentially say that ethics trumps ritual purity always. Now, I would add to that pastoral considerations trump canon law always. There are times when all of us in our expression of the faith must sometimes step out of the rigid lines drawn by canon law because there are pastoral reasons to do that. And it seems to me that that's part of what Jesus was expressing as he was having this encounter with the the folks out of Jerusalem. Jesus responds to them and he says that it's not what goes into the body that defiles. It's what comes out of the heart that defiles. It must have been a difficult debate. And you can almost sense as you read it that Jesus is getting weary, weary to the point where he actually uses kind of a crude metaphor to explain why uh, it's what comes out of the heart that defiles and not the body. But I think it doesn't end there. He's weary and they decide for whatever reason that they're going to go north of Galilee and they're going to go to the to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, perhaps they went there. Because that's an area where there was a considerable population of Jews living among the Gentiles there. And when he got there, a woman approaches him and asks for him to heal her daughter because she's possessed by a spirit. She wants her daughter to be relieved of all of this. And she's begging Jesus. Now, the gospel writer says that this woman was a Canaanite. And it's a very strange uh, insertion into the gospel story because uh, scholars tell us that Canaanites weren't living in that part of Tyre and Sidon anymore. And even the reference was kind of strange. It would be like uh, referring to New York City as New Amsterdam. It was just out of time. It didn't make any sense, except it made sense if one knew the Hebrew scriptures. Because the Canaanites were those that the Hebrew people were to always stay away from, always to avoid the possibility that they would be in some way defiled by the religion of the Canaanites. So the writer of this gospel makes a very clear point. This isn't just a Gentile woman. This is a Canaanite, someone that any good Jew would obviously avoid. She comes to him and she begs him begs him to heal her daughter. She's pleading. And the gospel writer says that Jesus ignored her. He did not even acknowledge her presence. In fact, the response that he makes is not a response to her, but a response to his disciples. And he says that my mission is to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, not to people like this. But she keeps pressing him. And if you could imagine being in that place, hearing what was going on, on the one hand, the woman is crying out to him, Eleazon, Eleazon, Lord, have mercy, have mercy. And the disciples are saying, Apolison, Apolison, get rid of her, get rid of her. She's desperate. She falls to his feet, crying. 
And then perhaps the most disturbing thing of all in the account happens. Jesus says that he did not come to give food to dogs like her. Can you imagine those words coming from Jesus' mouth? Here's a woman who's begging him, begging for him to have mercy. And he says, what I have is not for dogs like you. But she doesn't let go of that. And she presses the point and keeps coming back. Show your mercy, Jesus. Show your mercy. And something happens to him. Something happens to Jesus. In that moment, he recognizes her faithfulness and he acknowledges it. This is a person of great faithfulness. And her daughter is immediately healed. Jesus had just lectured those smart alecks out of Jerusalem about uncleanness and purity, about not needing to pay so much attention to all those particulars, which in part were probably culturally imposed. And then suddenly he finds himself in a situation where he is responding out of a cultural context. Here he is, a man in the presence of a woman who's not a relative. She speaks to him and eventually he speaks to her. And it isn't just a woman. It is a Canaanite woman. Is it possible that God's grace could even be there for a Canaanite woman? And perhaps in the early church, the question that had come up over and over again, perhaps even what is being addressed by this particular gospel story, is it possible for Gentiles to have God's grace? Because the church was growing, not from Jews, but from Gentiles who were coming into the church from all around the Mediterranean basin. Is it possible that God's grace was for, Jew, was for Gentiles as well? The answer that we get over and over and over again in the gospel is a shout of yes. Yes. As much as we might not believe it, as much as we might have trouble accepting it, the answer is yes. From their cultural perspective, that woman was unwanted, unclean, not even worthy to be in the presence of Jesus and the disciples. But in that moment, they recognize a human being, someone worthy of God's grace. I believe that this text is uncomfortable, at least for me and perhaps for you, because it not only shows the humanity of Jesus and the possibility that he had to be brought into some sort of enlightenment about how his cultural uh, imperatives were limiting the gospel. But it also makes me uncomfortable because I know that I have biases and prejudices that I cannot even name. I'm not even aware of them. But they may, in fact, limit my ability to minister. But perhaps the answer for all of us is that God puts before us those opportunities, those instances when we are hit between the eyes. And if we are attentive enough to God's grace, in that moment we may recognize that this is one of our biases 
that I am pulling away because I'm uncomfortable. I don't feel quite right about this. I believe that God calls us over and over again to reach beyond the boundaries that we have had imposed upon us by culture, by the way we've been raised and indoctrinated, the way that we have come to understand the world, and to reach beyond that and to see God's grace available to all. In a few moments, we're, we're going to have the wonderful opportunity of baptizing Daisy. And it's, it's always such a joy for us as a congregation to bring into God's household another soul. And a part of that uh, baptismal service is a renewal of our baptismal vows. It's not just all about Daisy, but it's about us as well. And one of those vows goes like this. Will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being? And we respond, I will with God's help. I think we will that. I think we really truly want to live into that vow. But it is only with God's help that we will be able to do it. Someone has put, uh, put it this way when it comes to this, this grand uh, welcoming of all to God. It is as though the resurrection of Jesus Christ opened a great universal black hole with all matter, all sin, all human joy, all suffering, all being drawn into its merciful vortex. And no matter how much we scurry around trying to stop some from entering the vortex, we are powerless. And when we come through that vortex to the other side, we will find ourselves kneeling before God with the Canaanite woman and many others we might have considered outcasts. And on that great day, may our shout be, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Amen.